What is up guys? This is All The Smoke on Strength of Physique with your hosts Adam and Chris, where we provide you with evidence-based information, community support, and recognition to all who are bettering themselves with fitness. On this episode, we discuss another ISSM position stand titled Meal Frequency. Um, so again, a lot of people um, have this belief um, that you know increasing the amount of times that you eat throughout a day um, supposedly will increase your me- metabolic rate. Um, and you know this this uh, position stand, you know, it takes um, all the literature that is out there um, and kind of you know sums it up. Um, and again, if you don't have it. Um, just literally search ISSM position stand on meal frequency and you guys can look up the paper for yourselves. Um, but this episode, so you don't have to do, do, do the reading, we'll break it down here for you. Um, so Chris, what, what, what are the, like the biggest takeaways that you got from reading this paper? So, okay, let's just recap. Um, I learned something in grad school and it was never read the whole paper, read what's important to you. Now it's different for you because you're going into a PhD program, but I definitely skimmed through this. Um, but I actually did learn some like new stuff because as we learn, meal frequency is irrelevant. Like we learn just to disregard it. It doesn't matter as long as you get the calories you need and the protein you need. That's what's most important. However, going through, uh, I just read the abstract. And one thing I noticed right away is the blood levels and blood markers can actually be impacted based on meal frequency. And I had to read a little bit more in depth on that. And you actually pointed something out to me because you got to it first. But anyways, the biggest thing I saw that caught my eye was the fact that, so I'll explain it to anyone listening right now. So when you eat food, there's three different macros. There's fats, carbs, and protein. Now your body has to digest that food and that process of digestion is going to cost calories. You're going to burn energy. You're burning calories when you eat food because you got to break it down. So just like exercising, you burn calories when you exercise, you burn food, uh, burn calories when you eat food. Uh, And the three main ones are, like I said, fat, carbs, and protein. Fat requires the least amount of energy to digest. It's the easiest to digest. You're going to burn the least amount of calories. Then it's carbs and then it's protein. And I won't break down the percentages because at this point it's irrelevant because I thought it was a big deal, but I learned that, okay, if you eat protein, it's the highest burning food to digest. Like it's going to cost the most calories to digest. And I was like, okay, you eat super high protein diet. You're going to burn more calories. Uh, Same thing with carbs. Carbs is like fourfold over fat. So I think it was, yeah, fourfold. We'll leave it at that. I don't know percentages off the top of my head, but carbs, even a carb, something I learned in this is you can do the same amount of calories and they did a low carb, high fat diet and a high carb, low fat diet. And both of them are completely different, but the calories were the same. And the individuals didn't make any better or worse progress. So it just reiterates the fact that we were sort of mentioning that calories are the most important thing. It doesn't matter meal frequency. It doesn't matter uh, what type of foods you're eating. Now we got to focus on protein. Um, But that was the biggest thing I, I ended up finding out just reviewing this before talking about it. Did you know that Adam or were you thinking that you burn more calories when you digest certain foods? 
Yeah. So the one thing that I always knew is obviously, you know, you're going to um, burn a little bit more calories digesting protein. And that was just from uh, my research experience with Dr. Campbell of us um, overfeeding um, with business training females. And they were able to eat, I think, 400 more calories um, and they actually lost more weight, but they ate more calories. And that kind of shows you the, the power or of that macronutrient of protein. So again, if you're going to overeat on anything, um, I would confidently say if you're going to do it, make sure it's protein. Um, and that kind of, again, with Chris's point, that kind of goes into the realm of, right, if you like low carb, go low carb. If you like high fat, go ahead on that. If you like higher carb, go ahead and do on that. Just make sure, you know, your caloric intake um, and then your protein intake is matching your, your, your optimal results that you're trying to shoot for. Um, just don't neglect, again, your protein and don't neglect um, or just kind of not pay too much attention to your, your caloric goal. As long as those or two are in check, you can get it from higher fat or higher, higher carbs. Um, I think, again, the most important thing is like, again, calories are in check and it's sustainable, maintainable for you and you can stay adherent to it. Uh, but, you know, from meal frequency aspect, right? Um, a lot of people from, I remember working at GNC way back in the day, um, it was like, hey, yeah, if you eat, if you want to speed up your metabolism, drink caffeine, eat six times a day and you'll boost your metabolic rate. Um, you'll be able to burn more calories, you should lose body fat that way. Um, and this, again, position stand shows that this is not the case, right? The, the individuals that should probably pay attention to, you know, meal frequency um, and even maybe nutrition timing are those athletes that are already at relatively uh, low lean body masses, where again, um, they're trying to replenish glycogen, they're trying to fuel performance. And more importantly, they're just trying to get the most bang out of their buffer muscle protein synthesis. Um, so I, I think that's, the biggest thing is, right, if you have always been told um, that it's going to boost your metabolic rate, that's just not the case, um, even if, again, it's from different sources of carbs and fats, like Chris said. Um, however, I think, you know, the one thing meal frequency has shown, um, and I can say this from an anecdotal experience, right, um, I just feel a lot better when I eat larger meals. So I space them out, but I have larger meals instead of, you know, nibbling every every what 90 minutes two hours um although it says right um it shows that it could improve some blood markers um those studies were very acute so um as we were talking about before that we started this that could kind of explain how individuals can kind of rig the system when they go get a, a full blood panel of i'm just not going to eat for a couple of days and then it even um notes that you know the reverse causality right if you step on a scale and the weight is higher than you would want it um, some individuals will be like, okay, well, I'm just not going to eat because they think, okay, I should lose that weight. Um, and again, that's just not the case uh, for that. Um, so I, I think, again, there's a lot of myths to meal frequency that it'll uh, improve your uh, metabolic rate, um, or um, it just will kind of lead to all these other health benefits as in blood glucose markers, um, as well as LDL and cholesterol. Um, I just think that, that, in, that research is still in its infancy. I think you brought up something I need to ask. So you're telling me if I step on the scale and I just stop eating, I'm not going to lose weight. You're telling me it's more than that. It's there's a lot more to it. And like, you, like we always discuss and we probably just bang our heads to uh, on a wall is right. It comes down to sustainability, right? Nobody's going to starve themselves for months on out, right? Just to um, prove that that scale, uh, an electronic device, right? Right. So um, it's going to be more water, water loss, um, all of that stuff that, that, again, that number on the scale doesn't do much value. But again, there's a lot of um, underreporting for over, overweight and obese individuals. Uh, so when they do step on the scale and then they 
see that number go up, right? That reverse causality um, and just someone that gains weight uh, might start skipping meals with the hope that, you know, that weight will go down. Yeah. And so meal frequency is how many meals you're having in a day. And Adam touched on how he feels better when he has bigger meals, but you have to realize that that's not going to be the case for everyone. So for my, I'm the exact opposite of Adam. Uh, I'm getting a little bit better now, but I was uh, diagnosed with hypoglycemia. So my blood sugars wouldn't sustain very easily without me eating more meals. And that means I would get tired faster if I didn't have more meals throughout my day. So whether you have hypoglycemia, if you are diabetic, it doesn't matter what you have. You just might be better for one thing over another. And this, the main part of these studies that looked at meal frequency, just so you can be like, oh, well, maybe they just didn't have enough meals. This ISSN paper talked about research articles or studies that focused on one verse three, one verse four, one verse three, verse 10. Like they did all of the extremes in this paper and literally meal frequency is not beneficial at all. And this was actually... When I learned this in our program, Adam, this was something that was like mind blown because even I was a firm believer, like you eat more, you're going to burn more. And ever like since growing up, if I ever wanted to get a little bit slimmer um, because it was like summer or something like that, man, I would just have more meals. Like I'd take my three, four meals in a day and just break them up into like 10, 15. Like literally I was doing such stupid things. And it wasn't even helping me looking back at it. Maybe psychologically, maybe it was helping me, but I don't know. Yeah. And I think sometimes, right. Just having that psychological benefit is just enough for a lot of people. Um, but I think, you know, with meal frequency, right. Um, if you are someone that is hungrier often, maybe, you know, shorter, smaller meals do that for you. And that could help you again, may uh, be at more adherent to your caloric goal. Um, but for me, I think it's just a tease. It's like a little appetizer and it's like, haha, you're still not really completely full. Um, so you, you're just not getting out of it. So I, I tend to just do uh, three bigger meals. Um, that way I can feel fuller um, and probably uh, just be able to not feel as hungry throughout it. Um, and that, you know, those goes from those hormones, um, ghrelin. Um, so I, th I think that, again, that's something I think that, you know, more of a practical takeaway uh, from meal frequency. If you are more hungrier, um, and, you know, you're not as satisfied, um, maybe spreading them out and having smaller meals throughout the day. Um, because again, that works for you and your lifestyle. But if you're like me and enjoy bigger meals to feel a little bit fuller uh, throughout it, or again, just maybe your schedule only allows you to do that. Um, that's okay. But you're not going to see substantial results um, if you're doing bigger meals or, or uh, smaller meals. So I just looked at this. It's at the very end. It's hidden. Look up, look up. So do you know how meal frequency impacts athletes compared to the normal population? Um, so I would say with athletes, right, you're just trying to make sure you're getting the most out of, you know, glycogen resynthesis and muscle protein synthesis. So, I mean, I would agree with that. And for anyone listening, our six, four, three, our one listener that's listening to this, <laughs> uh, this is everything we've talked about so far is just for the general population. Like just me and Adam, just we're not high intense Olympia, Olympia athletes, Olympic professional sport athletes. However, this ISSN article touched on athletic populations as well. 
And something that they just noted was that in small bodies of studies that utilize athletes, they demonstrated that increased meal frequency had the following benefits. And I'll list three of them. Suppression of lean body mass losses during a hypocaloric diet, which is basically just, you're not going to lose muscle. Uh, significant increases in lean body mass and anaerobic power, something I was not aware. And then also significant increases in fat loss itself. So in athletic populations, it might be slightly different. However, these, this is a very small amount of research that you can't just generalize for the whole entire world. Um, there's a lot, a lot of things. Uh, these are boxers that they determined uh it doesn't account for endurance athletes which might rely heavily on carbs um there's a lot of different things that go into these but just because one thing might not work for another doesn't mean you should disregard it uh overall i think the picture is is that meal frequency doesn't really provide any benefits but then you gotta if you really want to fine tune everything if you're an elite athlete then I think it might be more important to really just tune in on everything and focus on the big picture. But Adam, I think for a basic individual like yourself, no offense, I'm basic too. Um, I, I don't think meal frequency is going to be that beneficial for us. No, I, I, I totally agree. And then I think, you know, from the athletic standpoint, um, right. I think for anybody, honestly, uh, protein, I, I definitely would encourage, you know, protein timing and, um, this is outside of the ISSM paper. Um, like I said, I had just given a lecture. Um, I think the one paper that I always will stand by of showing that, hey, um, even distribution of protein um, is probably going to have superior results uh, for, you know, increasing lean body mass and muscle protein synthesis um, and hopefully, you know, increasing lipolysis or fat loss. Um, and the title of the paper is Timing and Distribution of Protein Ingestion During Prolonged Recovery from Resistance Exercise alters myofibular protein uh, synthesis. So that's a mouthful. Uh, but pretty much what this study did, they had three groups. What One group ingested 10 grams of protein every hour and a half. Uh, group two ingested 20 grams of protein every three hours. Um, and then group three had boluses of protein. So 40 grams of protein every six hours. Um, and for me, like I said, you know, 20 grams of protein for a lot of us, it's not that, that difficult to do, but you know, the timing of having it every three hours, so about four times a day, fits relatively well for a lot of our schedule, breakfast, lunch, snack, and dinner. Um, and that group um, showed a 31% improvement over that group one that had 10 grams uh, every 90 minutes, and then a 48% improvement in muscle protein synthesis over the bolus. So the one that had two large meals of 40 grams. So um, if there's something that you, I guess you would want to pay more attention to, um, it would be the protein frequency, um, but just no meal frequency in itself. Um, I think it should be more according to your lifestyle um, and what is going to allow you to be more adherent to your diet. So I'm going to go against sort of what you're saying on this protein timing. Uh, I get what you're saying and I understand, uh, but I have also listened to Dr. Campbell talk about uh, fasting and mainly in certain cultures. Uh, are you fasting soon? Do you fast? In uh, April? I will for, yeah, I will for the month of Ramadan. Yes. Yeah. So do you it's between sunrise and sunset, right? You can't eat. Uh, and this is actually a podcast he did. I forget with who, but he was talking about studies that looked at these specific individuals. And it was showing that as long as you get your protein intake 
before sunrise and after sunset, as long as you get your daily recommended protein amount, there was no differences than individuals that ate the protein throughout the day. Now, keep in mind, this is just a small amount of people. Uh, your body is going to be a, a lot more used to fasting for a month, Adam, than my body will be. So maybe someone needs to grow up in that culture in order to see the ben to see similar benefits. Uh, but I, I guess that would be a bigger study or a bigger meta-analysis that would need to be ran. Yeah, I, I, yeah, and I, I would say I agree with your, your take, right? As long as you're getting your daily amount of protein in, um, pay attention to that before you pay attention to timing it. Um, because, right, we know that anabolic window is a lot more of uh, a garage door than a small little window. So you're going to be able to have a, a larger time to increase muscle protein synthesis. But um, this, this one study did show that, right, if you space it out equally throughout the day, um, you do have a better chance of increasing your muscle protein synthesis throughout the day. And Adam, do you know if this is uh, with individuals, this study that you uh, lectured on, was this uh, a high protein diet? Or were they um, meeting protein requirements or? Yeah, so they're, they're protein. Uh, it was just a three, three days um, that they did this and they had um, 1.5 grams per kg of protein. Oh, that's not bad. Okay, so if you are eating your total amount of protein that you need to for every single day, then maybe look at your timing for the next step. Um, this is just really getting into the fine details. Uh, this ISSN paper sort of talked, up, talked about all of these fine details, but coming from all the smoke on strength and physique, you see that meal frequency doesn't really matter. It's overall calories and overall protein. And Do you have any closing remarks you'd like to add, Adam? No, don't overcomplicate things. Keep things simple, stupid, um, and make sure you know, you're just able to be adherent um, to whatever plan that you're going to follow. It's not about the short term. It's about the long term and making this a, a lifestyle. That is all the smoke on meal frequency. See you later, guys.